Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Babe Ruth. He had captured the hearts of hundreds and hundreds of Americans across this nation and made them fall in love with the New York Yankees. And and so when Garrick, when he made this shocking announcement, you see, he was still young enough that he should be at the top of his game. But you see, what the world didn't know was that in 1938, he had begun to have these, these strange symptoms, and they were sapping his strength both on and off the field. And then after a lot of persuasion by his wife, Garrick, he he finally agreed to go see the doctor. He went to see Dr. Charles Mayo at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And after several days of tests, this diagnosis of a myotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, it was confirmed. Garrick was 36 years old. And so less than a month later, he made this speech is now known as the luckiest man's speech. And, and Garrick, he, he reminded his fans that he might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Now the thing is, church, not every person gets to give a farewell speech, do we? We don't always have this opportunity to get up and, and to address the people that we care about. We, we don't have an opportunity to let people who care about us listen to what we have to say. But we know, we know that life is fleeting and that it really is this this precious gift that God has given over to each and every one of us to enjoy. He wants us to live life abundantly. And that's why that when people like Garrick, when they have the opportunity to express themselves publicly, that their words are no longer just their words, are they? Their speech becomes a part of the public domain. It it expresses far more than just their own experience. It it expresses what it means to be a human. What it means to have this, this common experience in this paradoxically strong yet very fragile human body. And you see what happens here in in Philippians chapter 2 is very similar. It's reminiscent of this farewell speech. Now we already know that Paul, he's sitting here in this prison. He's awaiting a decision from the Roman court system on what his fate is going to be. He's either going to be released from prison or he's going to be put to death. And we've already heard from him. He's already told us that dying is gain while it is more necessary for the Philippians that he continue to live. And so as we move into verse 12 of this chapter, it becomes increasingly clear that that Paul, he's continuing to wrestle with the outcome of what this trial is going to be. So let's listen again to this reading. We're going to listen to it this time from a different translation. Listen to Paul's words 
in his own farewell speech. Therefore, my beloved, just as y'all have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in y'all, both enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that y'all may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It's by y'all holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain. I did not labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of y'all. In the same way, y'all must also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, in order to understand the background of this what Paul's talking about here, we, we've got to remember who Paul is, where he came from. Paul was a Pharisee, wasn't he? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And as such, he knew his Bible. He, he knew his Bible so much better than anyone in this room knows it. And so this morning's reading is just dripping with Old Testament illusion. Paul, he, he digs deep into his Jewish history to bring about a reality of what it means to be a person of faith. To be someone who walks this faith journey alongside the truth of God. And so he begins this farewell speech. He, he references actually another farewell speech. This one was given by Moses there in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. Moses speaks out to the children of Israel there. And he, it's known as the Song of Moses. Now, we don't have time to get into everything that Moses says there, but we need to understand a couple of basic truths that Moses told those people that now Paul is also telling to this church in Philippi. So, so first of all, Moses, he's just like Garrick. He knows he's about to die. And so he wants to prepare the Israelites for that departure. He, he wants them to be ready for when he is no longer to be present with them as they move on into the promised land without him. He, he says, I, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Typical pastor, right? <laughs> he, he declares out, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. If you have already been so rebellious toward the Lord while I'm still alive among you, how much more after my death? You see, Paul and Moses, they understand what happens when good leaders go away. When there are no longer good leaders in the presence of the people, things have a tendency of starting to fall apart, don't they? And that's what Paul sees as happening in Philippi. And he's afraid that the longer he's gone, the more things are going to continue to fall apart. And so Paul, he, he calls to the Philippian church and he calls them to obey him, or more specifically, to obey his teachings. In fact, they are told to obey him even in his absence, both the absence he currently has while he's in prison, but also whenever he dies. You have to do the things I have taught you, he says. And it's at this point in his speech that he makes one of the most controversial phrases in the New Testament. He tells the church, he says, work out y'all's own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Now, now this one particular phrase, it, it has caused a lot of Protestants anguish. We struggle with what Paul says here. We, we scratch our heads with, and we wonder, what is he talking about? After all, if you go into other writings of Paul, what do you find there? You, you find there him reminding us time and again that salvation is this gift from God. That, that salvation can never be earned. That, that salvation is a work of God alone. So how do we take what Paul says right here and bounce it out with all of these other passages in Scripture? Well, the thing is, we're Wesleyans, and we have a pretty good theology around this one verse. Because once again, Paul, he, he's referring back to the Old Testament understanding of what it means to fear God. What it means to follow God. In the Old Testament, fearing God, it didn't mean that you were terrified and cowering over in the corner under a rock somewhere. Instead, what he means is that, that we are to fear God with this awe. We are filled with awe in God's presence, that we stand in amazement of who God is, how awesome He is, and exactly what it means to be in God's presence. And so Paul, he, he's pushing us to recognize this, this awe-inspiring reality of what God has done through Jesus, through our salvation in Jesus who is the Christ. Because you see, salvation that you and I have already received, we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to now work out our salvation. In other words, our salvation is not just something that we receive at some point in our life and then we can go live life however we want to. Our salvation is something that we have received from God and then we also go out and do our salvation. Paul makes it a little bit clearer in Ephesians. He, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not the results of works so that no one may boast. That's where most Protestants end their quote. But we're going to push it to the end. He also says, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So here in, in Philippians, the pronouns, they're, they're plural pronouns. Paul is telling the entire Philippian church, he's telling us that as a community of faith, you and I, we are working our salvation out together. We are working out our salvation in context of this faith community. We, we are to go out and do, do the good works that we're called into. And as we do those good works, Paul says, we are working out our salvation. You see, our Wesleyan understanding of this passage, it, it calls us into what we call the means of grace. You see, the, the means of grace are those ways that God most consistently, He meets His people in these certain activities. He's going to be there. We just got to meet Him there. And, and so there are two categories to the means of grace. There's works of piety and works of mercy. So the works of piety, where we can meet God, where we can meet God's grace consistently is in reading and meditating and studying the Scriptures especially through Bible study with others. We meet God consistently in our prayer life, in our fasting, regularly attending worship services, receiving Holy Communion, having accountability partners that we are honest and open with and they hold us accountable for what we do. Then we have those works of mercy. And those works of mercy, they are physically doing good things. Going out and visiting the sick and visiting people in prison 
intentionally feeding the hungry and then giving generously to others in need, seeking justice, ending oppression and discrimination, church, ending discrimination in a nation filled with people who don't like other people because of their skin color. You see, Wesley, he, he challenged his Methodist, early Methodist, early on. He said, we are people who are opposed to slavery before it became popular. That's our heritage, church. He challenges us to work to do those things, to address the needs of the poor around us, make a difference in the world around us. You see, two things happen simultaneously as we're working out this salvation. God's grace is consistently there and it meets us in those activities and it continues to transform us to love and to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. The, the, main, the means of grace, they, they are a sanctifying work in our lives. And in addition to all that, doing these things causes us, as Paul states, to, to shine like stars in the world. Jesus talked about light on the hilltop. It's the same thing. And it's not for our sake, is it? It's for the glory of God the Father. Working out our salvation, it, it leads us into what we do. You see, Paul, he, he also challenges us on things to avoid, which leads us to this second parallel of Moses. You see, as the leader of God's people, Moses, he had put up with a lot of complaining. You don't have to read very far into the book of Exodus before you start hearing a bunch of bickering and whining and grumbling among the people. There's so much of that going on that, that factions are forming and is causing brokenness and it ca that makes it the rule instead of the exception. It had gotten so bad that in chapter 32, verse 5, Moses declares that the Israelites are degenerate children that they are a perverse and a crooked gen generation. And you see, as Paul is addressing the Philippians, his fear, his fear is that the Philippians will also fall into that same pattern. Do all things, he says. Do everything without murmuring and arguing so that y'all may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You see what Paul does there? He takes what Moses said the Israelites were and he says, don't be that. You see, Paul, he, he was reminding us that as we are working out our own salvation, what we do, how we treat other people, and our attitude towards one another. Well, it's on full display, isn't it? Everybody sees that. Everyone sees how we behave. They see our attitude. And so Paul and Moses, they, they make it clear that this mumbling and grumbling by people of faith, it's not something that reflects how we're supposed to act. And really, if you think about it, complaining just reveals everything that we are seeing wrong. It, it's usually things that we focus on that we want changed. We don't like that, we want this. It, it centers itself on us not getting our wants met. But you see, we are called to be a community with self-sacrifice at the core, right? And so if we are a community that has self-sacrifice at the core, we cannot complain. 
We're called to serve. We are called to love. We're called to be grateful. We are never, ever called to gripe. So when the Philippians are living out their faith according to what Paul has taught them, it brings him all kinds of joy. He is filled with joy in how they're living. He he realizes that that all that time and and all that energy that he spent teaching and preaching to this community of faith, it was time well spent. He didn't run in vain. He didn't labor in vain. Paul has a concern for his flock. And I'm here to tell you this morning that I have the same concern for my flock at Aldersgate. This reading this week, it, it caused me to question, am I doing enough? Am I giving Aldersgate enough so that our community can work out our own salvation together? And if the answer is no, then what more can I do? What can I offer? What can the staff do? What can they offer? What, what can we do to help encourage all of us into practicing these, these means of grace, of working out our own salvation? So in this morning's in action, we, we have a card in there, and you're welcome to fill it out. It's not something you have to turn in to us. Maybe you need to fill it out for yourself. But there's two questions on that card, and the very first question asks you, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to grow? And your answer may be, I don't know. And that's okay because you can ask the Holy Spirit that question and I promise you, the Holy Spirit will tell you. He'll convict you. He will lead you in that direction. It's up to you to listen. Ask the Spirit to show you where you are spiritually weak. Where would He like to take you next so you can continue in your spiritual growth? The second question is geared towards our entire faith community. Since since we are working out our salvation in community, where do you see that Aldersgate is weak? Where are we not offering enough? What can we offer here that will help our community to grow, to grow in this sanctification together? Y'all have great ideas. If you've got an idea, jot it down. Put it on that card. You're welcome to leave it in the basket. We'll pick them up and read them. And even better, if you have an idea and you're willing to help out on that, put your name on there. I'll be hollering at you. We'll be talking about it, okay? You see, after Moses gave his farewell speech, he gave up his leadership position among the Israelites. He was no longer their leader. And after Gareth gave gave his farewell speech, he lived for two more years. But he never played baseball again. And when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he didn't know if he was giving them a farewell speech or if he was simply giving them instructions until he returned to them later. And the reality is, church, that none of us, none of us knows when we will draw our last breath. But as people of faith, we understand that as long as we are alive, we must continue to grow in Christ. The the more we grow in our holiness, the the more blameless that we are in the midst of this this crooked and perverse generation. And, And our growth in Christ, I can promise you, our growth in Christ, it it most certainly brightens the world all around us, so that we too will shine like stars in the world for the glory of God the Father. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the peace and grace of Jesus rest upon you today. Amen. So as we take communion this morning, I'm just going to invite you.